Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning, we're going to be in the New Testament, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. And the last time, the message was titled, Strive, Don't Be Stopped. And listen, when you teach the New Testament, especially when you teach the life of Jesus, His teachings, I mean, there's just, I've talked to other pastors, and we all feel the same way. We have notes, because you could take, 10 verses and go on for a very long time. Remember, it's God the Son. He comes to the earth. He shares things with us. And there's so many messages to what He shares that we we can only put so much uh, down. But uh, the message was titled, Strive, Don't Be Stopped. And it basically was something to teach us that when we try to get close to God, that uh, sometimes there's obstacles. And a lot of times the obstacles can come from our own flesh, our own selves, right? We can be in the way of spiritual progress and we made a really good case for that today the message is titled unintended consequences and in this portion of scripture you see jesus of course you know jesus didn't discriminate you know he wanted the poor people to get saved he wanted the wealthy to be saved he wanted the farmers to be saved and also the aristocrats so you could imagine he probably did a lot of walking and a lot of sailing in three and a half years covered a lot of ground but he would, you know, be invited to these events from these religious leaders. Um, and no one's a monolith, right? Nobody's, you, you don't, we're not supposed to stereotype anybody. So even back then, a lot of the religious re- re- leaders were corrupt, but many of them were actually good people. So he was able to win some of them to the truth of salvation out of their own religious you know, stodgy mindsets. He tried to break them away from that. So some of the religious leaders were scrutinizing him because he healed on the Sabbath. And we're going to look at his response to that. The unintended consequence that when you get close to God is that sometimes he wants to speak, well, all the times he wants to speak good things into your life. And interestingly enough, when we get close to the Lord, sometimes the unintended consequences are that God wants us to change certain things in our lives and he doesn't do it to be difficult he does it because it's best for us and we'll get into that so we're going to look at this in four parts jumping in verse one it says now it happened as he jesus went into the house of one of the rulers of the pharisees to eat bread on the sabbath that they watched him closely or they scrutinized him and behold there was a certain man before him who had dropsy and jesus answered So it's kind of funny. He would answer usually their thoughts. He is God the Son. They didn't have to say anything, but he was already responding to some of the thoughts that they had. He spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him, the man who had the dropsy, and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will it not immediately pull him out on the sabbath day and they could not answer him regarding these things remember these were jesus speaks to nicodemus in john chapter 3 he's a high echelon religious leader he's trying to teach him some spiritual things that he didn't know right so there was they always had an answer 
If it wasn't in Scripture, and Scripture is good, they would go to some of the rabbinical writings, but there was always in that culture discussion and debate. So it's kind of fascinating that they don't answer or they don't respond to the things he's asking them. So one is another Sabbath healing. I sort of say that facetiously because he probably healed dozens, if not a hundred or more times on the Sabbath. Jesus healed people seven days of the week. He had the compassion, he saw someone had a need, and he healed them. So you have to ask yourself, why would Jesus eat in the home of those that wanted to harm him? Like, kind of we have a word today, maybe the last 10, 20 years, uh, it was termed, it's called, it's like all these new words are coming up that at my age I have to try to figure out frenemies. You ever hear that one? Are they friends? Are they enemies? I'm not really sure. So here he is in the home of this religious leader, and no doubt some were quiet because they were blown away by his teachings, but some also scrutinized him, and they were hostile. And again, he wanted to win them to the truth. And this is why missionaries go into hostile areas. Uh, You wonder, why why would you go to that area if it's because they want to win the lost to salvation? So verse 1, they watched him closely. They were sure that he was going to do a miracle. And some speculate, and I don't know how important it is, but Bible teachers bat these things back and forth. Some speculate that if they knew Jesus was coming, they would find a disabled person and bring him to try to trap Jesus because they knew he would heal them. And sort of that says a lot about Jesus' character, obviously, uh, because you normally didn't, and again, back in that culture, you would invite people close to you, wealthy people, someone who could give you a leg up in the world. Uh, so the disabled and the maimed and the poor usually were not invited. It's a terrible thing. However, there was always a, a sick person or a disabled person at one of these feasts, at least one of them. So, you know, kind of you kind of look at it sort of as, as they did this as a plant to bait him. Uh, but again, they scrutinized him instead of doing what people of faith are supposed to do and minister. And listen... It doesn't matter if it's 2,000 years ago or today, but you know, even in churches, like what, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be growing in the Word, apply the Word to our lives, and minister to others, right? This is what Jesus has called us to do. Um, but sometimes ministries and churches get caught up in backbiting and fighting and you know, all these ridiculous arguments instead of doing what they're called to be do. So whether it was the Pharisees back then or even some people today, you could see a similarity. Love people, win them to Christ, show them the way to salvation, right? And, and folks, we still will be scrutinized. So if we really do follow Jesus, we'll be scrutinized when we call ourselves Christians and, you know, try to live the faith. And sometimes we might say, man, that's a lot of pressure to put on me. Now I I told one person in my job and now everybody knows I'm a Christian and like they're always kind of watching me. And folks, this is why as Christians, we really have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not a cliche. God, the Holy Spirit is there, right? To help us, to guide us, to teach us, you know, how to minister to somebody in a desperate situation. You know, as Christians, you know, back in the day before I was a believer, I relied on myself. Now I find, especially doing this and all the things that come with being a pastor, I have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And that's why God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. So that can never be said enough. It's a very, very important thing. But um, two, verse two, the dropsy. And it's funny because some, and again, and I deal with a lot of debate and I deal with a lot of, uh, 
you know, polemic and uh, people who are hostile towards the Bible. And usually what I found is they either had a bad experience in church years ago or they're just ignorant to what the Scripture says, just like sort of what I said in the announcements. So the dropsy, people are like, what's the dropsy? Well, actually, the Greek word is hydropikos, which we get the root hydro or water from in the English. But in the English, it's a transliteration, follow me, called hydropical. Now, that term in medicine is not used that much today. As a matter of fact, in medicine, the terms sometimes change over the years. If I say another word, you will be, you'll say, okay, I know what that word is, edema. Right When fluid is retained in the tissues, the circulation is poor. It could be a heart condition. It could be liver. It could be kidneys. It could be a combination of the three. And what happens is, and this is important because when we look at the healing, I'm going to get to why it's important, is people start to retain fluid, usually in their limbs, in their face. And the face could have been distorted from a lot of edema. Um, it could have been in the hands. It could have been in the... A lot of times it's down lower, because the, you know, the heart, if it's weak, it's, it's not being able to... All right, enough of the medical lesson. But <laughs> I, I love that stuff, right? <laughs> so I still, I still follow it. Anyway, so that's what he has. So let's move on to the next part. Uh, but left untreated isn't just an appearance thing. It, it could kill a person. It could be very serious, for, depending on what the issue is, the underlying issue. So verses 3 through 6, Jesus questions the religious leaders about the healing on the Sabbath, but they kept silent. And notice... It happens twice. It happens twice. And the reason is, is because there's really nothing scriptural saying that God can't do a miracle on the Sabbath day. And we've covered this, so I'm not going to go into it too much. But this is the problem when we, and I've seen it in Jewish culture and I've seen it in Christian culture, when people stop relying on the Word of God and then start relying more on commentaries whether it's the rabbinical commentaries, well, what did Rabbi Hillel say? Well, what did Rabbi Shammai? And a lot of times they disagree. Go back to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? Or if you're talking to someone who's a believer, can they find it in the Scripture? Or are they quoting the head of their organization? So this is the, the problem. They had the prestige. They had the esteem. They had the high position. But they were, they were faltering because they weren't giving the people the truth. So pretty neat stuff there. And he basically... Uh, calls out their hypocrisy. You'll, if your ox falls into a pit, right, or, or gets hurt, you're not going to leave your ox there. And that's a good thing that actually the Bible talks about treating animals well. I don't know if you know that. That's actually in Scripture in many places, right? Where to, they're God's creatures. We should treat them well. So he wasn't criticizing them for that, but they'll help their animal, their livestock who falls into the pit. But a person who's suffering, they'll just say, you know, it's the Sabbath day. If Jesus isn't here tomorrow, it's your problem. And I'm paraphrasing, okay? So what Jesus was doing was, and this is how you break false teaching. You challenge the false teaching. And Jesus did that, right? So verse 4, Jesus, it says, he healed the man and he let him go. Well, where's the fanfare? You ever see some of these internet ministries and people are dancing around and jumping up and down and making a big deal about... And, and you wonder even if, if it's actually happening or is this more of a show? But Jesus wasn't, didn't come to be in a circus. He didn't come for a show. He came and He healed people out of compassion. That's another thing too. If somebody's suffering, you, do you really want to put a spotlight on them? Right? Even if somebody's suffering emotionally, I've had people come to me, I'm suffering with depression. I'm, you want to put a spotlight on them? All you're going to do is make it worse. So you want to show that, you want to, listen, when you follow what Jesus does and did, you can't go wrong because remember, we were learning from, 
from the Lord himself. So this is what he did. He heals him and he lets the man go. Pretty neat stuff. Um, and this, let's go back to the edema and the fluid retention. What the onlookers would have seen, whether it was his hands, his face, different parts of his body, his feet, maybe the sandals were you know, opened up a lot because he was retaining a lot of fluid. And it says something about the man. He's probably suffering, but he comes to worship. He he's just really wants to be close to God. But no doubt he's suffering. When Jesus healed him, immediately that fluid retention would have gone away. Maybe you could see his cheekbones again. You could see his jaw. Because now whatever Jesus did, he got those internal, those visceral organs to start working again immediately. Good stuff. So everybody would have seen, wow, Fred, whatever his name is, he looks, look at him, he looks great. He moves better. He looks happy. And that's what the Lord does. But so let's go back to this. Why didn't Jesus, right? People ask a lot of questions when they read the Bible. Why didn't Jesus just wait until the Sabbath was over, right? Why does he have to, you know, why does it have to be a controversy? And as Christians, we're supposed to be humble. We're not supposed to be into all these controversies, but there's some times that you just have to make the point this you know you have to decide what to stand on and what to say it's not a big deal remember god the son was looking at these religious teachers who were supposedly representing god teaching the masses so he needed to make sure that they were doing it right so you know i would ask the same question to us is you, you ever find that an unintended consequence of getting closer to god is he keeps making this one point in your life right <laughs> You know, it's like, why does God have to keep making that point in my life? And as you start to develop a relationship, it could be pride, it could be stinginess, it could be a lot of things. But God just, it just seems that as we go along, could be months, could be years, God just keeps making that point in my life. He's not doing it to be mean, He's doing it to change us. You know, nobody, I don't want to change. I don't like change, right? I like uh, routine. That's a, a nice comfort word for me. But there's sometimes that God just gets me out of my routine and says, I want to do something different. I want to show you something different. I need you to do a heart check in this particular area. So, you know, these are the things that are going on and um, he wants to hone our character and, her, and our growth. He wants us to be more like him, to reflect him, right? The Bible says that, to be that light. Uh, the light of Christ, but it's got to come from the inside, from Him, not from anything really that we can do. We become better spouses, better kids, better parents, uh, better human beings, um, you know, and to win the lost, and sometimes just by our character. Jesus couldn't help showing compassion on people no matter where He went. And we have to ask that, ourselves that question. You know, what type of Christian am I? When I go into a situation, do people see me as somebody who has compassion? Or am I just, and we, listen, everybody has character flaws. Am I just argumentative a lot? Am I, you know, short with people? Am I not a good listener? Right? And again, you can't go wrong when you emulate Christ. So now, Jesus, it seems like he's changing directions, but bear with me because he's not. <laughs> Verse 7. So he told the parable to those who were invited. Right? There's a connection here. He, he's looking at the situation where he's invited for the Sabbath meal. Um, they're hung up on this, this Sabbath healing. And Jesus kind of tries to reach them from a different angle. So it says, when he noted how they chose the best places, 
And that, that would be to sit or to recline. And in those days, where you sat next to the host showed your status. Sort of the head table at a wedding, right? So we, we sort of have those cultural things today, but it was more pronounced back then. So he said to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable or maybe more important than you be invited by him or the host. And he who invited you and, and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes he may say to you, friend, go up higher, then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? So too is the parable of the ambitious guest. So Jesus, again, often used these parables to reach his hearers on a different level, on a spiritual level. Um, Jesus noticed how they chose the best places. And here it's hypothetical, but, but he's making a point because he's at a function. It wasn't necessarily a wedding function. So a, what is it? Then you have to, Pastor Joe, what's a parable? A parable is when Jesus would use, and people use them today, right? It was used, some of them were used in the Old Testament. A parable is when you take a physical situation or a temporal event or a wedding or a funeral and you express it, ex- assign the characters and then you make a spiritual connection to it, right? There's a spiritual truth that comes out of that parable. Pretty neat, pretty neat. Now, there's also an application to eternity, and we're going to get to that. So verse 9, wouldn't it be embarrassing? I mean, think about this literally, you know, I don't know, if you went to go to some function and you sat somewhere and, you know, you're hanging out at the table and you're talking with people and somebody of importance or the person throwing it comes to you and taps you on the shoulder and says, no, no, you can't sit here. This is for the important people. You know, go a few tables down, go sit. Man, that would be humiliating, right? So certainly he would have got their attention because it's an interesting prospect. And here's the spiritual problem with this whole thing, right? Or the problem with people is pride, self-aggrandizement, self-promotion. See, we can never go wrong when we start with humility. And that's a good maxim for life, humility, because that's what Jesus Wants. Now, if you remember, many times the disciples would kind of have a discussion about, you know, who's going to be the greatest and who's going to sit on Jesus's right hand, who's going to sit on his left hand. Man, they were almost like, you know, ha- having childhood sort of arguments here. Oh, you know, they're vying for position. And Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, then you need to be the servant. Absolutely. So that's what he said. And I got to tell you, that was... It was a little bit of, and I'll be, I'll be the first one to speak from example, a little bit of a tough learning curve to kind of hear that, especially in the profession I was in, where I was at in my life, in my head, and how I was brought up. That was a hard thing to hear. And I'm going to, you know, it didn't happen overnight either, but I'll give you an example in a little bit. So what does Jesus do? He points out the spiritual pride of this religious echelon, and they're jockeying for seats of prominence. They probably they were scrutinizing Jesus with the healing. <laughs> they probably didn't realize that he was watching them and he was watching them do their little manipulation and machinations and jockeying for specific tables and where they were going to be. And he exposes it, right? 
Listen, this happens in secular institutions as well as religious institutions. And, and I've been to events. Um, you know, I personally, my attitude is wherever I go, just put me wherever you want me to put me. You know, like I don't care. I don't, I don't, I'm not in that world anymore. But you see this sometimes at uh, uh, political events or religious, political religious events, and you see the important people and their names, and they're sitting right next to the politician you know, it's, they still play that game today, 2,000 years later. Um, but listen, promotions can go to people's heads. Um, you know, you, you wonder sometimes. You knew that person your whole life, they get promoted, and they become a tyrant. Because this, this pride and this self-aggrandizement, it, it, it's like a drug to some. And it causes, sometimes it'll cause poor judgment as well. So... Here's where the eternal or the eternity portion fits in is when people have the attitude, right? Because look at this as a secular kind of situation, wedding feast, but also look at this as a spiritual application. And if you, in your mind, say, okay, I'm going to look at this. What is Jesus trying to say spiritually? Then it opens up a whole new understanding of what he's saying. And People can do this in, with regards to eternity. And maybe you've heard it, and maybe you've said it, maybe I've said it. You know, the attitude that, well, whatever. When I don't have to follow Jesus, because when I die, I'm just going to tell God. I didn't burglarize anybody. I didn't kill anybody. So let me into heaven. Do me a favor, don't do that for your own sake. <laughs> you know, watching on the live stream, it's not a, not a good plan. It's not very thought out. And it's probably, well, it's definitely not going to work. So, you know, sort of the attitude that I'm going to work my way to heaven, right? In some religions, people get confused and they give up on God because, and that's a shame because they think that the religion is representative of God. It's sort of this spiritual board game, you know, take two steps forward and then take a step back, take step forward, then take, you know, it's all these things that the organization tells you what to do. But then if you uh, complete it, and your attitude is, well, look what I achieved. God has to let me in. You see, that's why Jesus came and he died for our sins. Because we're all in the same, listen, we're all, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You know, whether you're, whatever you are in life, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter. Jesus died for all, right? So it's a, it's a level playing field and it's a fair system. God will always have a fair system. So he died for our sins. We just have to believe and trust in what he did right? The more you read, the more you understand, the more you research. I know people, famous people who have very intelligent people, uh, Ivy League, um, you know, graduates who wanted to disprove Jesus and ended up becoming Christians. How's that happen? Because you hear a lot of garbage. It's on TV, it's in the universities, it's, on, it's just nonsense. Look it up for yourself. It's right here, right? So um, it, it's, it's an interesting thing to look at uh, in, in this situation. So verse 10, in, in the one situation, the person is humble and the, the host or the important person says, friend, go up higher. Go up higher. No, you know, you're one of us. You know, you're, you're good. You know, we're, we're, we're simpatico. We're brethren. Um, so that's really a neat thing. I look at the death of the martyrs over the years who died horrible deaths who were burned alive, who were separated from their families. It still happens in other countries. Christian martyrs, I guarantee that when they go to be into the kingdom, they just, they live the life of humility, that God is going to exalt them somehow, right? 
I, can, I just can have to look at that. Uh, verse 11, he, and he says it, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Right? And, and this is God's economy. So the disciples, it was tough for them to figure it out. Sometimes it's tough for us to figure it out. But this is God's economy. This is the way he wants it. It's a fair system. It's an honorable system. Because think about today, like, right? You, well, they even say tor- during COVID and, you know, the lockdowns and stuff, like some of the bigger organizations became more wealthy. The billionaires got more billions. Uh, middle class and poor people, right? These are all st- statistics. You can find them anywhere, right? Business, uh, co- economic statistics. And sometimes it seems like in this world, even in this great country, the land of opportunity, Sometimes it's so hard to get ahead. Well, God didn't want that same system or even the caste system in some countries to be in his eternity. He made it completely equal and fair. And that's what I love about God. He is a fair God. And you can see it on many different metrics. So verse 9, the person who puts themselves in the seat of honor, it's pride, self-aggrandizement. He says, then you begin with shame to go to the lower place. Listen. It does take a certain amount of humility to receive Jesus as your Savior, right? When you're told by a preacher, and it will be the truth, that it isn't about you, you're not going to work your way to heaven, you're a sinner, Jesus died for all sinners. When you, when you receive that and you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, that's, you really have to humble yourself because people say, well, what, what, what can I do? Well, I have to do something. Let me put into it. When you're saved, help people, minister to people. That's great, but that's not how you get to heaven. People have it reversed. They do the works and they think that's going to get them to heaven. But what happens first is the faith and the belief and the trust in what Christ did. And then the works come later because you're so happy about what the Lord did for you. You just want to bear fruit. So that's the proper, we don't want to put the cart before the horse, so to speak. All right. When I die, um, I don't. I don't care if I'm the guy all the way in the back holding the door, you know. When I die, if God says, oh, um, there's your eternal abode. It's a little hut at the end of the row. I'd be like, looks good to me, less to clean, you know what I'm saying? So, so um, you know, and it, it's the truth, right? Whatever God gives me, I'm sure it's going to be so much better than, you know, this life with all its perils and trials, right? So let's go back to the parable. Why are parables or parables so powerful? Why are parables so powerful? Because it's a way to reach the hard-hearted if they won't respond to direct teaching. Um, was it was it the prophet? Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it the prophet Nathan, right, with with David and the whole sin of Bathsheba? Okay, got some head shaking. Good. Uh, basically, he he knows that if he tells David directly, what you did was really wicked. David could have had the head cut off, right? So Nathan goes into this, this sort of allegory, and David's drawn into the story, and David's mad at the villain. And he goes, I'm going to kill him. And Nathan says, King, you're that man. Well, Nathan lived, <laughs> and David repented. So yes, sometimes the parables would shut out the, the completely hard-hearted, but the cool thing about a parable is you get so engrossed in this hypothetical story, you get so sucked in, that by the time you realize the parable is about you, it's too late. <laughs> it got past the defenses. Jesus will use anything right, to bring people to... He loves everybody, man. There's not one person on the planet that he says, oh, not those people. 
He loves all, right? The Bible says that a lot. All, all, and all means all. So, um, good stuff. Let me just, let me just say this. That in, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I, I grew up in a, a broken home. Many of you know that. Um, and I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere in life. So, you know, I followed, you know, it's funny, my pastor, Pastor Lloyd, um, when I started coming to Calvary Old Bridge and hearing his testimony, I'm like, Wow, it's a, it's a similar path, right? He did the self-help books and self-made man, and I did the same thing. I went to college, and you know, I had to be number one in everything that I did, physical pursuits, educational pursuits, because I didn't know God. So I felt this is a cruel world, which is a true statement, and I'm not going to get anywhere unless I fight and claw to get my way to the top. So um, then I became a Christian, and I knew I had to change. And let me just say this. I'll, I'll give you one quick story about So for those of you that don't know, I was a police officer, served honorably, was in a lot of different things, retired at 25 years. And uh, I remember I had three really great mentors as a, a young Christian man. And God bless them because I wasn't easy. <laughs> so uh, we, did, we used to do these things called ride-alongs. Some police departments have them. So I'd be on patrol and there'd be the empty seat and I actually had one of my mentors uh, come and do a ride-along with me. And I said, okay, these are the rules. I'm here to keep you safe. You know, don't, don't get ahead of me. Like, all these rules. You just got to obey what I say because I'm responsible now for you as much as the people on the street. So we go to a call, and it's, it's a first aid call. There's not much the police do. Just make sure there was no crime committed. Assist the first aiders. Not a whole lot, um, depending on the situation, right? If we get there first, we do CPR and stuff like that. So I get there. His name is Nick. He's got cancer, right? He's, the man is very sickly. He eventually dies of cancer. And uh, I'm talking to the first aiders. It's an elderly couple. The place is a mess. There's water all over the floor. Um, something happened. The guy was sick. So we're talking about how to get the guy transported. And all of a sudden, I look over. Nick is supposed to be behind me. I see somebody on their hands and knees with their back facing me and they're cleaning up the place with a rag and uh, a sponge and a bucket. He didn't tell me he was going to do that because I would have told him, you can't do that. When I looked at that, my first instinct was he disobeyed me. <laughs> but I also thought, I actually was shocked. I felt like the Lord stunned me because he taught me something. He didn't go, oh, look what I'm going to do, false humility. He just, that was his nature. And something in me was really pricked, like my conscience. And I thought, wow, like I just let him finish what he was doing. And he ministered to the people who were sick. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I got a lot to learn. So it's really good to have a mentor. It's good to have somebody teach you and to help you to, to understand things. Um, he's gone to be with the Lord, and I know I'll see him again. Um, you know, even on, on, on another note, and then I'll move on to the last few verses. Uh, so... February's Black History Month. Real cool, right? And my wife and I were talking about African Americans, you know, black Americans who achieved great things. And we're talking about business owners and economists and, and preachers. And, you know, we're throwing names around. And it's so funny because I always go back to, I saw a movie on her once and I'm like, wow, she couldn't have been that great. And then I looked it up and I did all this study. I knew who Harriet Tubman was. They called her the Moses of the Underground Railroad. And uh, I just fell in love with her character. And I'm starting to read a lot about her. And she was, I think what I loved about her is she had a servant's heart. And what I mean by that is she served freeing the slaves from the South. She served the Underground Railroad. 
Like she was in, this is one woman. She had a serious head injury. Uh, she had hypersomnia as a, a result of it. And, you know, I think that when we put our list together of people that we were impressed by, it was always somebody of good character, you know? And, you know, even Harriet Tubman, she got grief from her own organization. They felt that, they're like, listen, you can't save everybody. And she wanted to save everybody. And they were concerned she would put the organization in peril. Um, even the people that she was freeing, she just would always pray. She'd be like sprawled out on the floor and nobody, everybody just left her alone. She even knew the routes to take and some of those, those that were coming with her would argue with her. She got grief from everybody. Her own family gave her a hard time and resisted her. But that woman, all she thought of was, this is my mission from God. She was a devout Christian. And I just fell in love. I, another person I want to meet when I get to heaven, right? There's a, a long list. <laughs> Jesus first, and then some of the angels, and then, you know, some of these cool saints. But uh, y- your, your heart changes. Even the friends that you hang out with, you know, you, you look at somebody who, like Jesus said, they're humble. I love hanging out with humble people. There's no pretense. You don't have to put on a show. Um, good character, right? All these things. So it's it's... You can't go wrong with Jesus' teachings. Verse 12, last few verses, he said, Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back. Reciprocity. And you be repaid. Now, it started out with with the guests, Jesus goes to them and he basically says to the host, just in case you thought you were off the hook, let me tell you what you should do in a spiritual sense. Verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So three out of four is the parable of the ambitious host, right? So both guest and host here uh, are trying to advance themselves there. And we have these terms, social climbers. You've heard of that. Um, it, it's kind of a funny thing. It's called the Mutual Admiration Society. I don't think it really exists. But, oh, Pastor Joe, you should sit over here because you're great. Oh, well, you're the best person in the congregation. Thank you for letting me sit here. Oh, your sermons are just back and forth, right? And people do this, right? They do it in the business world. They do it in uh, religious circles. It's sort of mutual admiration society. And, you know, and then I would ask the question, or you know, based on what I read or reading here, is who are we snubbing? Who are we snubbing because there's nothing they can do for us? Are we all about family, peers, cliques, cliques in church? I've heard uh, horror stories of churches in the area that uh, some say that you know, they, they went to go to that church as a perfect stranger and they just were given looks and nobody really said hello and they didn't feel welcome. Really? That's that what a church is about? So this, this can bleed into, unfortunately, church circles. I also think about our institutions. You've heard of the term echo chamber. You go to hire somebody, you're a business owner, and you have a particular view, especially a political view, and you hire everybody who's going to tell you the same thing. That's a recipe for failure. I do like, as a senior pastor, when people question what, what was said and, and you know the point I'm trying to make. I like that because then I, I actually have to you know, I say, am I really firm on this point? That's a good question the person brought up, right? 
um, you know, elitism. Like there's all these kind of things that people do this type of behavior and it's been going on for thousands of years. You can also see how the person in the position of honor or the position of power will make decisions to control others, right? That goes on as well. Verse 14, he said, invite people that can't do anything for you. I was talking about even situations with people who have come to church and literally they don't have nice clothes. I don't care what you look like when you come here. I mean, have clothes on, but uh, whatever you have is, is going to be fine. Your shoes, your sneakers. I, I like to tease people. They come in with jeans with, with holes in them. I'm like, I got a set like that at home. I'm like, did you do that yourself? Or did you buy them like that? You know, but I don't care, <laughs> right? I don't care. Fashion statement. We don't care about appearance. So, but in this particular, so somebody who was poor or disabled, back then they didn't have the, the health care they have today, right? So they couldn't really take care of themselves. Hygiene could have been an issue. Appearance could have been an issue. Jesus is saying, bring those people, you know? Well, the other socialites might not like it. They may not come back again. Too bad. It's sort of the Matthew 25 principle, right? Um, did you feed me? Did you give me water? Did you visit me? Uh, did you minister to me? And the people who did, Jesus is going to say thank you. And they're going to say, well, what do you mean? Jesus is going to basically say, you did, it, you did it for me if you did it for them. Because like, they say to Jesus, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? Jesus said, if you did it to these, the least of my brethren, you've done it to me. So there's a, there's a kind of a stand-in effect with that. Hebrews tells us that sometimes when we minister to people, we unwittingly minister to angels. And my wife and I have had that experience. You know, you're ministering to somebody, you're doing all this stuff, and they just kind of disappear, and you can't find them. Like, where'd they go? Never see them again. <laughs> Was that an angel? Don't know. Was it a test? Who knows, right? So that's a, the Matthew 25 principle. Um, listen, the poor, blind, and the maimed, back then and today, can be socially messy. Socially messy. But God wants to see what we're made of. Right? Can we help that disabled person? Can we help the, you know, the person who's different from everybody else? And listen, works don't save. And I said that before, but works and ministering to others is an evidence that we are saved. And it's an evidence that our heart has changed. Because when we're all about ourselves, right, whether it's 2023 or back in the first century, people are just going to help people that they can get something from or that they're not messy. Right? But listen, it's different when we, became, when we become a child of God. Four out of four is the connection between the healing and the parables. And we've made a lot of them, but let's just look at this A. Right? And we, we looked at the religious leaders, and we can have the same attitude towards ourselves. Be careful of pointing a finger at others when we have our own issues, because everybody has issues. If you're a human being and you're a sinner, you have issues. Okay? Um, I have issues. But this, God has a way of humbling the proud. And we see that multiple places in Scripture. B, whether we look at the parable of the guest or the host, at the heart of these sins was, you know, advancement, self-advancement, pride, and self. We see a lot of that in American culture, don't we? C, in the Sabbath healing, um, the, some were guilty of treating their own animals great, which was a good thing, but strangers they didn't care about. Right? And you, you look at this connection. Jesus says it a lot. 
Um, and Christians can be guilty of this. Oh, my family, my family is above everything. My family, my friends, those are close to me. Be careful with that one. Sometimes I got to tell you that even the people that uh, when I became a Christian, I started finding myself hanging out with people or uh, fellowship with people that maybe I wouldn't have before I was a believer, right? So God can change our hearts, and that's a good thing. Remember, the church, Christianity, if it's done right, is a big tent. Anybody can fit into that tent, which is great. And we still see today uh, American culture. Reputation is more important than character. And that's wrong. And that's why America is in crisis. We see this in many institutions. We see this in government institutions. Right? Washington, D.C. is a planet all of its own. If you've ever, seriously, I've done studies on D.C. culture. It's very weird. It's the same people. And they pad their resumes and they get uh, some staffer job somewhere and then they put themselves out as somebody great and they end up, and both parties do this, some presidential team and you realize and they're talking about a real crisis and they're just babbling. They're not saying anything. But somehow they got into there because they're sycophants or grifters, right? And, and that's not the way we're supposed to be in the church. We're supposed to look at character greater than reputation. Albert Einstein said, try not to become a person of success, but a person of value. And there's a big difference there. D. Now, you know Pastor Joe is the king of caveats. We're just about at the end of the sermon. Caveat here. Right? We must always check our motives. Because mm. there's some that will read something like this and they'll still have the mindset, what can I get out of this? And, and I've seen it at my other church. How can I look good for the pastor and the team? And you have this false sense of humility. You end up helping people and you make sure everyone sees it when you do it. Now there's a weird kind of genre of people who they virtue signal and they take selfie videos of helping somebody on the street and they post it to their... And everybody likes it and says how great they are. I'm, you know... Small apology, small one if you do that, uh, but you're missing the point if you do that. Jesus said, don't let your left hand do what your right, you know, let, let, them let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, when you serve, you know, it's the only one that's important to see your good works is the Lord. And he sees it all. You don't have to put it on social media or take pictures of it. God, he sees it. Uh, so false humility is definitely a problem. Uh, trying to look good, uh, you know, our hearts have to be right. And God wants us to be right on the inside more than looking good on the outside because the inward will determine actually what happens on the outside. And it'll come naturally. You'll just minister to people just because it's part of what you do. And you don't think anything of it. You don't care who's watching. It's just what you do. It's just who you are. So most important unintended consequences is that when we serve the Lord, right, expect when you're in prayer and you're reading the Word, expect when you're growing in your faith and you're maturing, expect the unintended consequence, I say this a good way, of God trying to change us. And I say us, not you, us, because I'm part of the church too. Um, and sometimes I, I know what he's saying to me that I almost kind of smirk. And I'm like, I think I know what you're getting at. It's kind of cool. You get to know your God so well that even though he's not audibly speaking to me, 
he does things in my life that get my attention. And, I, and I'll pray and say, are you trying to get my attention? Because <laughs> it's really obvious. So it's a blessing though, folks. You know, I mean, again, it's, a, it's an exercise in humility to give yourself up over to the Lord. Let him do the things that he needs to do with your life. Change you the way he needs to change you. And um, you know what? You will be that person that he can use to bless so many others. And I think we won't even see the results until we get to eternity. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.